Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Engineer On, the show that answers anything and everything from the point of view of an engineer. We've got a pretty neat episode lined up for today, with some really interesting questions. Now, before we get into today's topic of politics, I want to first thank everyone who has listened to this podcast. It's really taken off since episode two, and I've got some pretty great feedback. So please continue to spread the word, and I'll try to continue putting out some interesting content. All right, one more thing before we get started. This week, we celebrate a rather important anniversary. 142 years ago, on March 7th, 1876, 29-year-old Alexander Graham Bell received his patent for his revolutionary new invention, the telephone. Alexander became inspired by Samuel Morse and his invention of the telegraph, which was invented in 1843, which made nearly instantaneous communication possible. But he wanted to take it a step further. Instead of just beeps and clicks, why not be able to transmit your voice? So, with the aid of Thomas Watson, Bell developed a prototype of the first ever telephone. And just three days after filing the patent, the first intelligible message was transmitted using the telephone. The famous, Mr. Watson, come here. I need you. Just take a second to think how different this world would be if we didn't have that invention. And then think about the advances we've made since then. Amazing. That is the world we live in. So, beside giving Mr. Bell and Mr. Watson the recognition they deserve for this invention, the message I want to get across to you here is don't lock your ideas away. A lot of us have some really great ideas every day that we either write off because we think they're unimportant or because we don't know how to create it. Don't let that happen. Tell someone. Alexander Graham Bell was 29. 29 when he changed the world forever. He flipped the entire field of communication upside down. How many incredible ideas have fallen to the wayside because the inventor didn't share that idea? So tell someone. And maybe it's been done or, or maybe it's, it's not possible, but that doesn't mean it's a bad idea. Maybe it just needs some tweaking. There might be a really good idea buried in there. Imagine for a second the amount of skepticism some of the world's most brilliant people faced when they first shared their ideas. Hey, you know that big white glowing thing a couple hundred thousand miles above us that we almost know nothing about? Yeah, you know, the moon. I want to send people there. How impossible did that sound? I mean, it still sounds a little bit impossible, but we do it. So anyway, the takeaway here is don't be afraid to change the world. Now, let's jump into today's topic, engineer on politics. There are countless political issues that the governments of the world are fighting every day. And these issues are some of the most important that the world has ever faced. I mean, some issues we've been battling for decades because we just can't find a good solution. Now, there are a thousand sides to everything political, so keep that in mind when you're listening today. I'll be taking a very general approach to these answers, describing just one or two of tons and tons of possibilities. 
I'm not here to give an absolutist answer to any of these questions, but simply to provoke some thought. So let's dive in. Without further ado, let's get on to the first question. What would it be like to have an engineer as president? This is really a great question, and it's one that I've thought about a lot, actually. And I have spoken to the asker of this question, and they've given me permission to expand it to what would it be like to have engineers as political figures in general, be it Congress or state government or whatever. So the way I see it, government leaders have two jobs. One, to solve problems. And two, invent new ways to improve the lives of their people, preventing problems from arising later. And in general, these are the same two jobs of an engineer. I mean, it only makes sense. People who are trained in the art of problem solving and analytical thinking should be in political roles, right? So why not hire people who match the job description? So to answer this question, let's imagine the extreme case in the U.S., a federal government filled completely with engineers. What would that look like? Well, in my head at least, I think we'd get better solutions a lot faster. When engineers sit down to discuss a solution to a problem, of course they have their opinions, but I think in general, engineers are more prone to concede their stance when faced with a better solution. This is because engineers are naturally curious. So if you have an opinion, we really want to understand why you think that way. Even if we disagree on every point, there still might be something to learn from understanding your perspective. And often, we're not married to our ideas anyway. So if you can present a better one that makes more sense, well, then we're likely willing to throw ours away, or at least modify it. So because of that mentality, when engineer politicians sit down to discuss a solution they'd likely reach an agreement much faster than today's politicians. I also think that in a government full of engineers, there would likely be no political parties. In general, engineers sit more or less in the middle of party lines anyway, so there would be no official political division between people, just differences in opinion. This removes a whole lot of complication. Now, one of the reasons for inefficiency in our government today is the fact that these politicians always have one eye on the issue and one eye on re-election. This is a big hole in my vision because engineers in office would probably be afflicted with the same distraction. But with the disappearance of political parties, I think this would be a lot less of an issue. There's a lot of pressure on our politicians today to toe the party line in order to get campaign funding for later which is a large reason politicians are less willing to recognize when a better solution is presented. Without political parties, or at least with less involvement of those parties, politicians would be free to make better decisions. But how does this help with the whole re-election distraction? Well, it would first shift the focus. Instead of putting on a good show for the Republicans or the Democrats of the country, politicians would play to the country as a whole. And the only way to do that is to make the decisions that would improve the lives of the citizens. Now, I don't mean to make it sound like today's politicians aren't fit to hold office, because they are. I have a great respect for all government officials, because of course, politicians are in office for a reason. 
These are the people who have dedicated their lives to studying government and constitution and what worked and what didn't in the past so that I could have a better life. I only mean to suggest a possibility of what a government full of engineers would be like. I think it's pretty interesting. The next question I have here is somewhat related to the first one, actually. And that is, what do you look for in a political candidate? I think, and there are tons and tons of studies saying different things, but by and large, I think people are looking for qualities of themselves in political candidates. So engineers likely look for the ability to think analytically, the ability to recognize a good solution and compromise, and a competency to make decisions. Personally, and this might differ from other engineers, I also look for the ability to communicate effectively. Now, some might say, who cares if they can talk as long as they have good ideas? And to that I say, what good are your ideas if you can't communicate well? We've all been there. You've got a solution, but you don't know how to explain it, so it gets overlooked. And two months later, you find your exact solution gets implemented, and it fixes the problem. So to win my vote, a political candidate needs to be efficient with his or her words. Now, some of you may have noticed the quality they share my political views was not on the list. While, yes, that is important, I don't think it's the end-all be-all. I am much more likely to vote for someone who can think analytically, compromise, make good decisions, and communicate well, who I don't always agree with, over someone who can't do those things and I agree with on everything. Because I think the first person would be a much better asset to the government. And I think most people would agree with that point. Okay, so we've covered what it would be like to have a government filled with engineers, and it seems like a pretty good concept. So why aren't there more engineer politicians? Well, that's where our next question comes in. Why aren't there more engineers in positions of political influence in the U.S. and globally, and how can we get more? Well, the answer to that question is really twofold. First, I don't think engineers really think of the possibility when they're studying to be an engineer. There's no real exposure to politics in the engineering curriculum, and for good reason. If you're going to be designing bridges and space systems and other things that people's lives depend on, we want to give you as much design experience as we possibly can. We don't really want to waste time on you thinking like a politician if that's not likely what you're going to be doing. And that's not really your critical operation anyway. So when you look at it that way, a class on politics isn't really the priority. So unless you're really interested in politics, you just won't be exposed to it during your education. And even then, if you're really interested in politics, you're likely not studying engineering, but political science or constitutional law or something of that sort. Another reason we don't see many engineers in the political realm is most engineers are just too preoccupied. They're just too busy to get involved in the political scene. When they're not at work, they're probably in their garage building something or designing something or inventing something. I'm sure there are a host of other reasons, but these are the two prominent in my mind. Luckily, the solution to the lack of engineers in politics applies to both of these issues, and it's rather obvious. Give engineers exposure to politics. This could be done in a lot of different ways, but off the top of my head, I think one of the better ways to do it would be 
give engineers the option during their education to learn more about politics in the form of an engineering elective about politics. In this course, students would learn how to apply their skills and talents to the political world. Not all engineers are going to end up in a design position, so we should take advantage of that opportunity. This course would either produce some future politicians or produce some really educated voters. Either way, it's a win-win. So why isn't this a thing if the solution is so obvious and really rather easy to implement? Well, a class like this probably wouldn't be very popular at first, but luckily the goal is really the solution. As the number of engineers involved in politics grows, so too would the popularity of a class like this. The biggest hurdle would be getting started. I'm going to combine the next two questions because one really answers the other. The first is, how do I know what to vote for when it comes to laws and local issues? And that answer is pretty simple. Get educated. Learn as much as you possibly can about these issues, then form an opinion. Try not to go into your research with a bias. Get as many facts as you can in your head, then think about which decision would benefit the country's population the most. Try to think about it outside your own life. So then that begs the question, and this is the next question, how can you tell what is credible and where should I get my news? Well, the most credible source for your research is the source. If Congress is passing a new bill, for example, the bill itself will give you the most accurate information. You want to know what's in the bill? You should read the bill. Now, I do understand that most people don't have time to pour through a couple hundred pages of political jargon, so let's talk about the next best solution. Most people turn to media outlets and news stations for their research. This isn't necessarily a bad place to start, as long as you're aware of the biases that are present in today's media. This is why I often stay away from TV and radio. It's much, much easier to ignore the bias of a written article than someone's speech. Now, it's not often that newscasters and radio hosts present false facts. And if they do, it's usually by mistake, and then they apologize and recognize that it was a mistake. But it is very, very common for them to present the facts in a way that make it very easy for the viewer or listener to get an obscured version of the story. That is what people are paid to do. It's the best way to boost their ratings. Writers do the same thing, but they're limited to the written word. There are no facial expressions or vocal inflection to add to their story. Yes, facts can still be presented in a biased way when it's written, but it is much easier to spot. It's because of this bias that I encourage you to find multiple sources for your news presented by different people. Whether it's written, TV, or radio, go through and find a couple different versions of that story. Personally, I like to put two opposing stories against each other. If you're watching or reading a story uh, opposing a bill, for example, find a story that supports it, and this way you get both sides. Give yourself that opportunity to see both sides of the story. So, media outlets are the easiest way to get nudes, but they're not always super reliable. The source of a political story, such as a bill or law, is the most reliable, but it's not always the easiest to understand. So where do you get your news? If you have time, do independent research about the facts surrounding the issue. 
For example, if you want to know more about immigration, go to the fifth or sixth page of Google and find a site that existed before the topic took center stage. Before everyone started talking about this topic, read a couple articles from then or find an informational website that has lists of facts about this policy or about that issue. Look at numbers and stories from a few years ago. You'll still be faced with some of the same biases, but it's likely less so than the present articles. Now, there are a few questions about specific issues in the U.S., so I'll cover them all in one segment. The first one is, is President Trump really going to build a wall on the U.S.-Mexico border? And the answer to this is pretty short. It looks like it. It seems the administration hasn't yet started construction on the new segments of wall, but they're first renovating the existing dividers on the border. But there are a couple prototypes for the new segments already built. The administration seems to be struggling to pass a bill to fund the construction of the new segments of the wall, so there's really no hard start date for the new segments to go up. But I have the feeling the bill will be passed and the construction will begin shortly thereafter. Here's why I don't think the wall is really a big deal to either side. I think it's really symbolic for President Trump, showing that he'll deliver on his campaign promises. And at the same time, I don't think the opposition really cares if more of the wall is built or not, because there are currently dividers placed on the border already. I think the opposition is smart, though, and I think they recognize this as an opportunity for leverage to get some things done that they want. It's really just a negotiation point for them. You give me this and I'll approve your wall kind of thing. The next question is, has America become increasingly anti-intellectualist in recent years? Now, this is really a, an interesting question, and I hadn't really thought about it until now. But my answer is, I don't think so. I do think, however, that Americans are much, much more skeptical of anything and everything that is presented to them, especially if it's new. Now, a certain amount of skepticism is natural, and in fact, it's healthy. But the real question is, are we too skeptical? I think yes at times. And I really attribute this to the lack of confidence in the media. We just really can't be sure what's true and what's not anymore. So it's hard for us to accept things that we don't fully understand. But I do think that most Americans are for further research on just about anything. Renewable energy, for example. Most people accept the fact that we have a limited supply of fossil fuels, right? That's a fact that's fairly well known. The controversy, however, appears when we talk about implementing solar, wind, or hydroelectric, or whatever, instead of, say, coal or oil. The argument for is we'll burn less of a limited resource. But the argument against is not renewable energy generation has no place in America. It's that these technologies aren't yet efficient enough to cover our needs. But I think both sides would agree that we should continue researching these technologies so that they can become more efficient and efficient enough to at least supplement the energy generation. Our energy demands are just too high at this point not to look for an alternative. So anti-intellectualist, I don't think so. But we do have to work harder to prove our ideas, which is not necessarily a bad thing. And finally, the last question of our segment is, how do we, as a society, create a less divisive political climate 
and genuinely understand those whose opinions are different from our own. This is really a tough one, because it truly comes down to each individual and how they view others. But speaking generally, I think it would help a lot if it wasn't so profitable to be divisive. Media outlets and political parties love when the nation is divided, because it means more customers or more donors slash supporters. One of the best ways to make sure you like me is to make sure you dislike the person I dislike, right? The enemy of my enemy is my friend sort of thing. It's the world's best marketing technique. Basically, let me tell you how you should think so that I can take advantage of that and sell you things. It's really a huge problem, and the only solution for it is everyone suddenly becomes understanding and sympathetic to the other side, which is impossible to orchestrate. On an individual level, however, I think this is possible. First, when you're faced with an opposing view, do everything you can to understand the opposite side. It will either make sense to you and you'll modify your own view to something that you like better, or it'll strengthen your view and give you a better argument against it. At the same time, if you're given the opportunity to speak your mind, do so in a way that invites questions so that you can explain yourself more thoroughly and give the other person a chance to understand your views. Too often do we get trapped in this you're wrong and I'm right conversation, and there's really no room for the other side to admit they're wrong without sacrificing their pride. The best way to convince someone to change their views is to present it in a way that allows the other person to say, oh yeah, that makes sense, I didn't think about it that way, rather than trying to persuade by force. So without sounding too philosophical, The solution to a more open-minded society starts with you. Listen and genuinely try to understand. Ask questions that you really want to know the answer to. And on the flip side, try to explain things as thoroughly as you can in a respectful way. And with that, we'll close out this episode of Engineer On. I really hope you've enjoyed this. I'd love to hear what you have to say about any of these topics. So please, comment below. And if you did enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. As always, I am on the hunt for more questions to answer. So head over to engineeron.tech slash contact and drop me a message with your question. And of course, be sure to tune in in two weeks on March 22nd and catch my next episode, Engineer on Marketing Yourself where I'll go through how to create an image and project it out there to make yourself seem more desirable in the job market, at the supermarket, or just about anywhere. Again, thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Until then, engineer on. Engineer on.